You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. The spring of 1883 would have seemed like any other year in Jakarta, Indonesia, were it not for the loud sounds of explosions in the distance. <laughs> I know what this Where is. Where are you going with this? <laughs> now, Jakarta? May 19th, steam started to rise from the awakening Krakatoa volcano. <gasps> oh! Yes. Oh! So earthquakes had started just a few years earlier, uh, but the volcano was entering a new phase of waking up. Uh, Jakarta was 100 miles away, but explosions could be heard as an eruption of ash blew an estimated 20,000 feet into the sky. And this was just a precursor of things to come later on that year. Oh, yeah. I had to to take this off my list. Nearly a month later, on June 16th, another eruption occurred. Uh, This one was more violent. Instead of just one column rising from the stratovolcano, now there were two. What? Uh... Oh, yeah, like two, two different, you know, venting spots where there was things coming out, like ash. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and this volcano at the time, by the way, Krakatoa, was known to have three different sort of cinder cones on top where things were uh-huh. sort of active spots. Two of them, two of the three were now active. <laughs> uh, in early August, Dutch uh, topographical engineer Captain H.J.G. Uh, Fezenar, I believe you would say his name. We're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, came to the Krakatoa Islands to investigate, and he reported that there were now three major ash columns rising from the volcano. So that went from <laughs> June to August. Uh, he actually set foot on Krakatoa Why? and reported that all vegetation had been destroyed, mm. and there were only tree stumps remaining. There was also, at this point, two feet of ash covering the island. Of course. Wow. Yeah. That's Why a lot of are ash you already? stepping foot on the island? Why? I mean, you know, people do things. <laughs> so now that, that, that sounded like there had been some pretty uh, serious stuff going on there. Uh, but the worst was, of course, yet to come, if you know anything about this story. Yep. Uh, eruptions intensified on August 25th. And by the 26th, the volcano entered the history books as one of the most talked about volcanic eruptions in human history. By 2 p.m. that day, an ash cloud was rising 27 kilometers into the sky. Wow. So that's 88.5 or 88,500 feet. Okay. Now, your, your commercial airliner is usually flying at about maybe 30,000 feet. Right. This was 88,500. That's 16 miles high. Uh, and there, <laughs> indeed, yeah. there were continuous eruptions explosions, and even tsunamis uh, that hit Java and Sumatra. Uh, Because this thing was just starting to go Mm -hmm. nuts. It's like the the fireworks locker getting ignited. Yeah. Go big or go home. This was the beginning of the end. Uh, Now, for those of you who have vaguely heard of Krakatoa, you you might know that 
a very large explosion is coming. But what you mm -hmm. might not know is that it was actually just, there were actually four large explosions, not one. Oh. Hmm. So the third is the best known, but there was four of them over the course of August, 20, August 27th, which is a few days later, the next day. Uh, so the first was at 5.30 a.m. The second was at 6.44 a.m. And both of these were accompanied by very dangerous tsunamis that spread out yeah. uh, through the area and caused yeah. a lot of damage. The third explosion, the one that everyone has heard of, was at 10.02 a.m. Oh, more people are it awake was... then. I think well, everybody I think was awake, awake already. Uh, <laughs> everybody was awake, Rachel. Okay, Everybody was very much awake in the area. This explosion was so violent and so loud, it was heard unbelievably far away. The blast was heard on the island of Rodriguez, which is near Mauritius, which <laughs> is 3,000 miles away. It was also heard in... Perth, Australia, which, Rachel, you talked about uh, in your last episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and Perth, Australia is, was 3,110 miles away. Now, we probably maybe can't picture, like, where in Indonesia uh, Krakatoa was and where, you know, Perth, Australia is if you're not from that area. So I'm going to put it into a couple other ways to think about it, all right? Mm -hmm. So for those not from that part of the world, that would be like hearing a sound in Dublin, Sound from Dublin, Ireland, in New York City. Yeah. So that's real far. <laughs> or another way, imagine if we want to talk volcanoes, imagine that Mauna Loa on Hawaii exploded instead. That explosion could have been heard in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my. That's oh okay. My. Okay. So another way of trying to put the context of how big this explosion was is to talk about TNT. So a stick of TNT packs quite a punch, but now picture 2,204 pounds of TNT. That's quite a lot. That's a metric ton, or 1,000 yeah. kilos. Yeah, that's, right? a, that's a lot. So one ton of TNT is a lot. You want to be anywhere right. near one no. metric ton of TNT going on. Not off. even close. Um, I want to talk bigger, though. Let's talk about kilotons. That's 1,000 tons. To visualize that picture, not a stick of a stick of TNT, almost a dynamite. TNT and dynamite are different. They are um, a, a stick of TNT that or that is a well, not a stick, a cube. Picture a cube that is twenty-seven point eight feet on each side. Okay. Okay, that's that's a kiloton of TNT. Uh huh. Oh gosh, that's that's that's, that's big. At least that's that's about five Rachels. <laughs> <laughs> But it's cubic, okay? So it's, it's right. It's, it's five Rachels thing. on each side. <laughs> yeah. Now the little boy atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima or Hiroshima had a 15 kiloton yield. So Ooh. picture 15 of those 27 foot cubes of TNT all going off at once. That's how big that first atomic bomb uh, was. Yeah. Not first. Ooh. First used in, right. in war. Um, back in episode 44, Victoria talked about the Tunguska event and mm -hmm. how powerful that explosion was. Yeah. Tunguska blast was 15,000 kilotons. So 15,000 of those 27-foot cubes. And keep in mind, a kiloton Ooh. is already 1,000 tons. So yeah. Tunguska was 15 million kilos of TNT. Uh -huh. Yeah, the so mind that's just, boggles. That's just, but we're going, we're going bigger. All right. 
Oh, we can also express this, by the way, in megatons, uh, which is a thousand kilotons. So 15 megatons of TNT uh, was the destruction uh, from uh, <clears throat> Hiroshima. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, that that from from uh, Tunguska. Uh, Tunguska. Okay. Tunguska was 15 megatons, okay. and that was like you talked about the episode, hugely devastating. It was, it was yeah. like 800 square miles of trees knocked down or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah. So. The largest human-made nuclear blast ever was the Soviet Union's Tsar Bomba, uh, which was mostly about intimidation, <laughs> frankly. Right. Um, it had a yield of 50 megatons, which is just uh, hard to even imagine how big this bomb was. Kirk, but all of that... The back of my brain pales, is just... Pales in comparison. Pales, pales in comparison. My my Krakatoa. head is my brain is already like tangling about this. Just being, this is so many numbers. It's a lot of numbers. I know. This is Krakatoa so is estimated to have had the force of two hundred megatons of TNT. Wow. So to try to back up to something that makes that doesn't make sense, but at least gives some context. Uh, the <laughs> bomb that was dropped in Hiroshima. To compare it to that, it would be like. 13,333 of those all going off at once in one spot. Uh, uh, oh. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. The, the pressure wave from the explosion ruptured the eardrums of sailors who were 40 miles away. Oh, um, no. Bar- bar- barographs, which is essentially like a barometer that records air pressure on tape, it recorded this pressure wave as it encircled the globe. Now, I, I do want to correct a common myth here. There's, there's books oh. and websites and all kinds of stuff that will claim that the pressure wave went around the world seven times. And to be clear, that is false. That is wrong. Uh, what did happen is that there was at least one barograph that recorded the pressure wave seven times. But remember, that wave is going around the world in all directions. Mm-hmm. So it can be recorded multiple times from multiple directions if it's encircling the globe, right? So mm-hmm. experts yeah. think the pressure wave, actually, if you're just talking about one direction only, uh, the pressure wave went around the Earth about 3.5 times. There's still like so the many times. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so, no. Uh, let's talk about ash. Uh, ash is estimated to have gone... 50 miles up into the air. And keep in mind that the lower limit of outer space is sometimes defined as 62 miles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so almost into space. Uh-huh. Uh, it tr- this final blast triggered tsunamis that were 150 feet high. Ugh. Oh my gosh. Uh, and the devastation was horrific. Uh, the official death toll uh, stands at 36,417 people, but of course is likely higher than that Mm -hmm. Um, bodies floating on rafts of pumice washed up on the shores of africa a year after the eruption wow so the the devastation was almost unimaginable um there was actually so much smoke uh particles in the air that there were red sunsets around the world for several years after the eruption and actually had an effect on the climate and average temperature of the earth um that's nuts it's uh, yeah and i mean i'm just touching on you know a a bit of all 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 the facts about this it is is so amazing 
And um, it's certainly one of the, I think, the best known eruptions in recorded history. Uh, but it actually isn't the largest, at least by some measures. I think it was the largest, you know, explosion all at once. It was the loudest. Uh, but it's not, it was the loudest, certainly. Um, but it isn't the largest. And I think perhaps I'll save that for another day. <laughs> and we'll come back to it because there's other stories to be told. Uh, I do want to give some credit out on this one uh, to the amazing editors uh, over at Wikipedia who were able to pull a lot of sources together. I was able to uh, go through to get a lot of the numbers for this, so I appreciate that work on that. Uh, but Krakatoa, uh, if you want a good read and learn more about it, pick up some of the amazing books that are out there that go into it in so much more depth. Uh, and you can also look uh, today. I mean, the island was destroyed in the yeah. process of this uh, eruption but not necessarily blown apart by the eruption. There's some debate about that. Uh, okay. But it's a um, look on some of like the uh, Google Earth today and you can see uh, what is there and compare it to some historical uh, sources. And uh, it fundamentally changed uh, the area. However, interestingly, a new uh, volcano called like the Child of Krakatoa is now mm. uh, rising from mm. that same spot on the Earth. There's huh. actually a really great book uh, about Krakatoa, I think, the author's name is Simon Winchester, if I'm remembering. He wrote okay. a bunch of other popular histories like The Professor and the Madman, and I think there's some others. Um, and I read that book uh, quite a number of years ago, so I'd forgotten a lot of the details, but I remember it being a good book. So you can check yeah, that out, well, too. That's one people can check out. That's good. We're going to take a uh, short break here, and when we come back, we will have Rachel. Mm-hmm. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon so after all of that thanks kirk um oh, sure. you're welcome i think i think we need to um talk about something a little sweet sweet we're talking nice. about honey i would love to talk about honey and Trust me, is definitely on my list because. <laughs> but not bees. Um, Yay! I'm sorry. I, I may have just gotten a delivery of honey today from the researchers who are doing research on mm. our property at work. But Ooh. we don't need to talk about that anyway. Because you're not talking about honey. I am not. Today, I want to talk to you both about pineapple. pineapple. I don't like pineapple. It's the one pineapple. food I really, really dislike. Gosh. You too, All Kirk. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. And one. my husband also, but I feel like everybody else loves pineapple. Oh, I pineapple. also hate pineapple. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> we are the anti-pineapple podcast. I had no idea all three of us shared this. I, now I feel pineapple. even closer to the two of you. Oh, I it's know. so good. I, I just, it's, it's the texture. But even it's it the flavor. Flavor. I think it's it's a it's an acidity thing. It's that the also I, the acidity yeah. thing, which the, I'll I'll get into a little. The bit. taste reminds me okay. of vomit. 
Ooh. Oh. So excellent. There you go. There we go. But um appetizing. I this one has been on my list for a while because I do know people who do like pineapple. Oh, lots of people love pineapple. Uh, yeah. I'm, pineapple people always tell me they go, Oh, you know what? You know why you don't like pineapple? Yeah. I know why you don't you never had fresh pineapple. That's if you had fresh pineapple, you'd love it. Mm-hmm. People, I've been to Hawaii. I've had fresh pineapple. No, I'm not. I'm no, not buying your pineapple cult. I'm just gonna avoid it because uh, I've tried pineapple before and I don't like it. So no. Um, but it's a really bizarre plant. Like when you think of a uh, pineapple, oh, yeah. like I don't know about you, but I always thought of like, or at least growing up, I always thought of pineapple. Right growing from a tree and like hanging <laughs> right. underneath the tree like right, a right, coconut right. or something like that like uh-huh. upside down upside kind of down with like yeah. with the um the fruit itself hanging down kind of like bananas that's and things not like that. how it works so that is a not how pineapple no. is uh grown or what that plant that's looks not like. how the pineapple do no pineapple is an herbaceous perennial and it grows one to one and a half meters tall so about three feet to almost five feet tall. Okay, so less I'm than a Rachel. Than a pineapple plant, less, less than, than a Rachel. Rachel. Uh, Point eight Rachels. Exactly. Uh, it has short, stocky. It has a short, stocky stem with tough, waxy leaves, and um, pretty much think of like it is a monocot. So. It has very similar leaves to like blades of grass. They're just tougher, mm-hmm. a little bit larger, and grow from a central point. Okay, uh, to help our listeners kind of picture that. Um, some people might be more familiar with like bromeliads. It, it's kind of mm-hmm. similar to the shape of a bromeliad, or maybe like an okay. agave. Yeah, agave. That's a yeah. good right. exactly. Yeah. Um. So when it's creating its fruit, though, it usually produces about 200 flowers per plant. Oh. Okay. Okay. Mm. Um, once it flowers, the individual fruits of each flower join together. Yeah, that's what makes that pattern. Right. Which is what makes that pattern of the pineapple fruit. Um, and... It creates a, it's called a multiple fruit. So a multiple fruit, uh, it's also called a collective fruit, and this is in botany terms, um, is fruiting bodies formed from a cluster of fruiting flowers, uh, the inflorescence, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, Each flower in the inflorescence, it's such a fun word, uh, produces a fruit, but it eventually comes together and produces one large mass mega fruit um, in which one mega fruit in which each flower has produced a true fruit the leaves of the pineapple plant so uh are have sharp spines along the margins margins so they're a little bit spiky and kind of hard hard to uh touch kind of like the pineapple itself Mm -hmm. um and i i will say each of those going back to the fruit for a hot second kind of hard to eat but why Um, would you want to right each (laughs) each section some people are so mad at us right now (laughs) um each section of the pineapple the kind of circular 
outside part that's really, really spiky, that would be one flower to give right, you a right. little more perspective of mm-hmm. how many flowers a pineapple is made out of. Fun thing, in the wild, pineapples are po- primarily pollinated by hummingbirds. Oh, Aww. that's great. Yeah. And thanks, then some are actually, yeah, thanks, hummingbirds. I mean, I guess. not no, thanks I that mean, much. No. Yeah. 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 But uh, certain <laughs> wild po- pineapples are also foraged and pollinated at night by bats. Um, uh, I was just gonna. I was gonna I guess bats. bats. Yeah. Why? Um, it's it's so it's so cool. Um. So the fruit of a pineapple, and you might actually like this, Kirk. The fruit of the pineapple yeah. is usually arranged in two interlocking uh, helices, um, often okay. with eight in one direction, thirteen in the other. Each is a Fibonacci number. Ooh. See, I thought you might like that. Still don't want to eat it. That's fair. <laughs> Um, as far as uh, the history of the pineapple in general, just really quick here. Um, the first reference in English to the pineapple fruit was in uh, 1568 um, from the French of André Fiviette's uh, The New Found World, or uh, where he refers to a fruit eaten by the Tupinaba people living near modern Rio de Janeiro. Um, and is now believed to really? be the pineapple. Hmm. Yes. I didn't realize that was uh, where its origin was. Yeah, I didn't either. Part yeah. of the world. Yeah, so the wild plants... Do we know um, what they called it? They probably weren't, didn't call it the pineapple, which, by the way, is a name that makes zero sense zero whatsoever. Poor um, Riri is what I'm seeing, but that is... It doesn't help wrong, me because I don't sure. speak that language. I don't know. Yeah. I, d- I don't okay. either. Um, but so hey, it's better than pineapple. It is. It is. Uh, we don't exactly know how. Pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> we don't exactly know how it was domesticated as a plant, um, but the wild plant of pineapple actually originates in the Perania uh, Paraguay River. Drainages between okay. southern Brazil and Paraguay. Okay. And I assume um, it's smaller. Yeah, it is a little bit smaller. Um, it's been it's spread as a crop throughout South America, and it, archaeological evidence has found it as far back as 1200 to 800 BC in Peru, okay. uh-huh. and 200 BC to 700 AD in Mexico, um, where it was oh. cultivated by both the Mayas and the Aztecs. Um, so it was a pretty widely distributed and stable. Uh, component of the diet of a lot of Native Americans. Um, and unfortunately, Columbus was the first one to encounter the pineapple, so maybe we have he has uh, we have him to blame. Oh, That's, we do have know. him to blame for why it is called the pineapple. He brought it back we? to Spain and he called it the Pina de Indies, meaning the pine of the Indians. And um, well, it looks it's a little like a pine a cone, pine Kirk. That's where the pine came oh, from. Oh, is that all pine cone? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I'd rather eat, you'd rather eat a pine cone, frankly. <laughs> well, pine nuts are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Pine nuts are amazing. Um, pine, ma- pine nuts don't taste like battery acid in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was just the the reason why some people really don't like 
pineapple, uh, yes. pineapple fruits and peels uh, have a lot of pho- photochemicals, um, including gallic acid, cindric acid, vanillin, ferulic acid, synaptic acid, cumaric acid, chlorogenic oh, acid, uh, epi, epic. You can do it. Oh gosh, epic. I'm gonna guess it's uh, a kind of acid. HN and arbitin. <laughs> okay. Um, and these enzymes can cause pretty much what it comes down to is raw pineapple juice can be used as a meat marinade and a tenderizer yeah, because it's, it's a food that that like digests you as you're eating it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah slowly breaking you down like your the your tongue and your mouth as you're eating it which is why it can be really difficult to eat a lot of although i don't know why you would want to why you would eat a lot of pineapple at once your mouth feels like kind of numb or like kind of not great feeling and this because the pineapple is trying to eat you back the acids just the sheer amount of acids that are in the pineapple fruit themselves cause a lot of uh issues or is digesting and like breaking down your mouth. Yeah, and those um, enzymes are why it says on the box of Jello that you shouldn't put fresh pineapple in with your Jello because yeah. it won't gel because oh, it oh, right. breaks down the those protein. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. Overall, the pineapple has been very useful, like as a plant itself, uh, and has been very important in many many cultures throughout the world. Uh, not only in uh the um uh the americas but it's also a pretty important uh fruit in the philippines and uh in indonesia thailand and india um not only for commercial flower flowers but it can be its leaves can be used to create fabric and other textiles um so it's a pretty important uh plant even though not all of us like it so (laughs) that's what i have for you both today Thanks so much. Thank you. When we return from our break, we'll have Victoria. Hey, we're back from the break. I'm going to tell you about Christoph von Buren and Daniel Kronauer, who are two biologists who study a species of army ant in Costa Rica. It's called Eseton burchellii. Um, You may have heard of army ants. Instead of building nests like most ants, they have no fixed address and they swarm over the forest floor, devouring everything in their path, mostly insects. Um, Uh There's a lot of exaggeration out there about, you know, stripping cattle to the bone, et cetera. Um, (laughs) I hadn't heard that one. Okay. Yep, I have. (laughs) I could do a whole segment about army ants, and I may do that in the future because they are fascinating and very strange, but I am here today to talk about something even stranger. So Von Von Buren and Kronauer uh, conduct their research by sitting in folding chairs in the jungle at night, which is when army ants conduct their raids, uh, looking at them with flashlights to study their behavior, which sounds sounds like a great time. (laughs) Really? Sure, there was absolutely no beer involved in this research (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) Yep, working here. Hold on. Oh, yep. oh, there goes some ants. That's scientists yep, for you. So <laughs> they were sitting there one evening in 2014, 
when they notice something a little weird about the appearance of some of the ants. Their abdomens look okay. just a little different. And <gasps> oh, yes. <laughs> and then they realize that these individuals looked like they had two abdomens. What? Uh-huh. What? I've heard of this. So they managed to capture a few of these insects uh, and (laughs) they put them into little little glass vials, the way you do. Um, And when they gave the vials a shake, the extra abdomen fell off and it was a beetle. That's just rude. What? It's a beetle. It's a beetle. Oh, it was a beetle. Oh, okay. Beetle the size and shape of a... Separating a second... Sorry, what was that, Rachel? Admin. I thought they were just, they shook it and they accidentally detached the, oh. the oh, wow. second abdomen. Like Ringo's star like, just fell off. Oh, oh no. <laughs> okay, that was bad. Yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> I'd like to apologize to all the listeners for my terrible Beatles joke. All right. <laughs> So a beetle the size and shape of an ant's abdomen that spends its life hitching a ride on an army ant by clamping its jaws onto the ant's waist and pretending to be its butt. (laughs) Um, It's a life. It's a life. That's so silly. The, uh, my, my word, my word file, the word file of my notes for this episode is called Episode 48, Army Ant Butt Beetle. (laughs) That's pretty solid. That's amazing. Yes. So in an interesting twist, the species of army ant is blind. So it's not clear who the mimicry of the beetle is meant to fool exactly. Uh, Possibly predators like birds, um, because from above, the beetle just looks sort of like a normal ant abdomen. Uh, Uh But also the beetle has a microscopic texture that is very similar to that of the ant's exoskeleton. So, you know, potentially when another ant touches this beetle butt, it feels like an ant's abdomen and not a beetle, possibly. Okay. Uh, So that's very strange, but in some ways it's not Uh all that surprising. Army ants have this whole ecosystem of other organisms that, uh, that depend on them. So researchers estimate that this species of army ant has 550 species that basically follow them around and 300 species that exclusively get their living from the ants. Oh, my gosh. And this is the largest number of organisms dependent on one species that they've ever discovered. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Um, so some birds and insects eat the ants themselves. There are birds that stay kind of on the sidelines and eat insects that are trying to escape the ant hordes. (laughs) Sure. There are various insects that lay their eggs or inject their larvae into fleeing or injured insects. Also fair. Yeah. That just seems so unnecessary. Yeah. Well, there's uh, yeah. so like particularly there's one species of I think it was fly that uh, I, I believe injects their larvae into cockroaches that are fleeing army ants. And something like uh, 50 to 90 percent of the cockroaches that don't get eaten by the ants get parasitized by these flies. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, really a good way to kick something while it's down. Yeah. Um, At least they're not being forced to eat pineapple. 
<laughs> Very true. There are tiny parasitic mites that each specialize in different ant body parts to suck on. (laughs) And there are various other species of beetles, including ones that also hitch ride on ant bodies uh, in different places for food supply and protection. Uh, And some beetles have body shapes that mimic an ant. So a whole ant, the, the whole beetle looks like an ant. And if you think about what? how beetles normally look and how ants normally look, that is That's very hard to wrap your mind around. It, ah. Yeah, how would you not mistake that for an ant? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can Google some of these images. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, yeah, so the, the army ant butt beetles are weird, but within their context, just a little weirder not- than, than normal. Yeah, yeah, they're not super weird, but like, that's still bizarre. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to uh, an article from The Atlantic uh, from February 14th, 2017 by Ed Young that uh, was the main source of my information for this episode. It's a good article. You should go check it out. All right. We'll do. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you. Victoria. You're welcome. And... That's all we have for you this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.